Welcome back, everybody. It's great to have you with us, especially those of you who are viewing for the first time. Now we're going to look at the Word of God, and we're going to hear a message based on the Scripture, because we believe it is through the Scripture, primarily, that God speaks to us. Today we are honored to have the bishop of our diocese with us. This is Bishop Todd Hunter. He's the founding bishop of our diocese, and he was the pastor of Holy Trinity Church in Costa Mesa and has been a dear friend to us at the Vine. He will bring the scriptures. But before he does, we are going to uh, listen in and pray with him as we watch um, a prayer of installation that he uh, performed over our interim pastor, Mike McNichols. Normally, we, if we were meeting together, we would do this together in the church, but we are going to watch by video as Todd lays hands and prays over Mike to install him as our interim rector. Now, we'll be hearing from Mike next week and throughout the weeks to come as he begins to share from the scriptures and from his heart where he believes God is leading us. So first we'll look at the prayer of installation, and then Bishop Todd will bring a message from the scriptures. Bishop Todd. Just thinking of that moment in Acts 13, where the Spirit spoke to the leaders of the church. And sent forth apostles, it was by the voice of the Spirit. And we welcome your spirit here, Lord. Well, we've come together today to welcome Mike McNichols, who's been chosen to serve as interim rector at the Vine Church. And we believe that he's well qualified and that he has been prayerfully and carefully selected to fill the role of interim pastor, both caring for the church in this interim time and working with the bishop and the church council to guide the church to its future. Mike, do you in the presence of this congregation leaders commit yourself to this new trust and responsibility? I do. And to the congregational leaders that are present, will you who witness this new beginning support and uphold Mike in his ministry? Below. Mike. <clears throat> o Lord, my God, to you and to your service, I devote myself, body, soul, and spirit. Fill my memory with the record of your mighty works. Enlighten my understanding with the light of your Holy Spirit. And may all the desires of my heart and will center in what you would have me do. Make me an instrument of your salvation for the people entrusted to my care. And grant that I may faithfully lead and by my life and teaching, set forth your true and living word. Be with me always in carrying out the duties of my ministry. In prayer, quicken my devotion. In praises, heighten my love and gratitude. In preaching, give me readiness of thought and expression. And grant that by the clearness and brightness of your holy word, all the world may be drawn into your blessed kingdom. All this I ask for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Mike, having committed yourself to this work, may the Lord who has given you the will to do these things give you the grace and power to perform them. Now, if those of you who are in the room will just lift your hands towards Mike, let's pray a prayer of blessing and anointing over him. Father, we ask you to stir up in Mike the person and work of your spirit. Stir up in him, Lord, the gifts you've given him. Lord, take all the wisdom you've given him over decades of ministry and all his years of thinking about ministry as a professor. And by your spirit, Lord, would you leverage them all towards the good of the, of the vine church and the vine's future. Lord, fill Mike and the church council, we pray, with your wisdom. Fill them with the joy that this new season points to. Fill them, Lord, with a deep and rich confidence that they are companioned along the way, even when there might be bumps in the road in the next few months. Lord, give them the sense of your manifest presence always with them, I pray. That both Mike, the church council, and the whole congregation would know that you are with them and that it's you who have sparked this transition and that it's you who will bring it to good fruit. So now, Lord, we commission Mike to this work you've given him. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning, Vine Church, Fullerton, California. It makes me feel a little bit like missing my old home stomping grounds in, in Orange County. It's great to be with you on this day, uh, this big um, monumental transition in your history. I'm so glad that uh, Michael and Mike and your leaders uh, have invited me to have a word with you this morning. I hope we can have a good word together. So this morning, I want to talk to you about experiencing the leadership of the Holy Spirit. You know, this is true, I think, of individuals and ministries and businesses, you know, churches. We all make uh, decisions from logic, right? We constantly use formulas and data and calculations and projections and that sort of thing. It's completely normal, right? We, we all do it uh, to one degree or another. But it's a really special blessing when an individual or a church council or a church receives the direct guidance of the Holy Spirit. It's just a huge provision. You just have this sense that like God is with us and he's giving us something. And it's also, I think, simultaneously a great sense of security and of encouragement. And having had discussions with uh, Michael and Ansley and with Mike and your leadership team there, I, for one, am just really convinced that you're living in just that, just that such a moment where you actually have heard and are hearing from the Spirit. I got to admit, whenever this happens, I feel a little bit jealous. I just think it's so fantastic. It's just so encouraging to all of our faith to know that like God is actually with us and speaking to us and leading us as individuals and as teams and as a church. So this morning, I want to celebrate with you, and I want to celebrate this work of the Holy Spirit in leading your church. So first, a bit of background, and then we'll get into the readings. 
So for just some basic orientation, church life, in my view, I think in the view of the scriptures, is meant to be an interactive relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. And we're supposed to take our cues from the kind of life that Jesus lived. Jesus said of himself, I only do the things that I see my father doing. I only say the things I hear him saying. And then he said to us, even as the father sent me, so I send you. And so the relational reliance that Jesus modeled with his father, he's saying that that's the same sort of relational reliance the church is meant to have with the spirit. And therefore, this interactive relationship with the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, it's not peripheral. It's not elective. It's not just for the super spiritual or something. It's actually really crucial. In my view, the church can't be the church or do the tasks of the church without the presence and operation and leadership and gifts of the Holy Spirit. So just remember here with me that when we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about a thing or denomination or a movement or a meeting that's breaking out here or something like that. When we're talking about the Holy Spirit, we're talking about the third person of the Holy Trinity. We're talking about Almighty God. And so I think we just want to say again, by just sort of basic orientation here, that the Holy Spirit can't be consigned to history as some people think he should be, but nor is he Um, should be blamed for what some people think of the weirdness of charismatics or Pentecostals. Now, I get very sincerely people being confused about this. I can understand people feeling like, I don't know, I've just been around so much excess with, you know, sort of quote Pentecostal or charismatic Christianity or however someone might label it. But I just think we can't really go there, even if that's true of us, that we've seen excesses that scare us, worry us, or have, you know, sort of distance ourselves from the person and work of the Spirit. I get that. I have, I have honest sympathy for it. And I really get how some, a modern person can read Acts 2 and think, what do cloven tongues of fire and a mighty rushing wind, like, what do they have to do with the modern world that's, you know, that we all are sort of connected by Bluetooth and that sort of stuff. It just, it doesn't make any sense in a modern technological scientific world. And I get how people can read Paul's lists lists of the gifts in 1 Corinthians or Romans and Ephesians and just wonder, I don't know what those gifts are. I don't know how they work. I, I really have empathy for people who feel just sort of stuck there, either stuck in fear of excess or stuck in just kind of not wanting to know what to do total empathy. But even if all that's true, we're still left with what I call the upper room conversation, where Jesus says to the disciples, it's better for you that I go away. For if I go away, the spirit will come. Now, we just need to take that serious. Like, was Jesus smart? Did he know what he was talking about? Like, this seems like it was a really big deal to Jesus and really important. And I want to say that I think it is as well. So especially for those of you who maybe feel a little tweaked about excesses that you've seen in your life, just consider this with me this morning, that the Holy Spirit is as easily grieved by being ignored as he is by any sort of excess. Now, to put this more positively, uh, Jim Packer, who's not known as any uh, sort of wild charismatic, but but great theologian, has said that we live by God's plan and purpose in the age of the Holy Spirit. 
And that what the Spirit does, <clears throat> Packer says, is that he's the essence of the ministry of, of Jesus and that he mediates Jesus's presence to us. Packer says that he's Jesus's deputy and representative agent to our hearts and to our minds. And so that the Spirit mediates to us the personal presence and the ministry of the Lord Jesus. And we'll see a bit of that when we get to our passage in Acts 16. So as I say, Jesus modeled this relational reliance, saying, I only do what I see my father doing, say what I hear him saying. Church, he says, that's the kind of relationship I want you to have with the Spirit. And I just want to say how uh, every, every time it happens, I'm still amazed. And I've seen it hundreds of times, if not more. When the Spirit like speaks to the Swansons and speaks to the McNichols and speaks to your leadership team and speaks to the church and some amazing future comes out of it, it just gets my attention every time and causes gratitude in me. So let's look at how this worked out in the book of Acts. Our first reading today was in Acts 13. And of course, when we jump into Acts 13, we're jumping into this middle of a story where the gospel's been going out. And in Acts, every time the gospel goes out, it goes out uh, accompanied by a fulfilling, of, uh, a filling, excuse me, of the Spirit. So we could put it actually the other way around, that there are fillings of the Spirit and then the gospel goes out. And in Acts 13, we have a very similar thing happening here where Cornelius, in a sense, has to get converted away from his ethnic views. And then the gospel goes out to Antioch, which then begins to go out to all the Gentiles, and as Jesus said, into all the world. So in Acts 13, we have something that's uh, very similar to what you all are experiencing, where the Holy Spirit said, now just think of those four words, the Holy Spirit said, I mean, can you imagine being addressed by God? And these people really were. Now, everybody who reads Acts 13 has always wondered, I wonder how that happened, right? Like we could say sort of humorously, did they see skywriting? Or, you know, did somebody with really crazy hair get up and talk in a really weird tone of voice? Or, you know, like what happened here? How, how are they actually addressed by God? And most interpreters of scripture will say that, well, we have a hint in the passage when it says that there were prophets and teachers there. And so these people who were seeking and <clears throat> waiting and praying and fasting, they weren't merely open. Um, you should never think that it's okay if we're going to experience the leadership of the spirit in the church, that, that it's enough to just be open as if, well, God, I'm actually a little suspicious of you and the spirit. I'm a, I'm a little cynical about it, but I'll remain open as if God's going to go, oh, well, thank you for you know, being open to the third person of the Holy Trinity. No, what we want is what we see here in Acts 13 is that they were willing to be addressed by God. They were seeking, they were waiting, they were praying and fasting, and the Holy Spirit spoke to them. And they heard, set apart. And this is where, I, again, I just get so happy and in a sense sort of, you know, that sort of playful sense of jealous that I know how hard Michael and Ansley worked and how much they coveted hearing from the Spirit. And to know that they did is just, it's remarkable and amazing and fantastic. And I know that Mike and Emily, you know, had to struggle a little bit with, wow, is this something God's really calling us to? But as we open ourselves like that, then the church receives these sorts of commissionings, right? Like um, neither Michael or Mike are being ordained in this moment. They're already ordained. They're being commissioned into a new sort of life. 
And so they're set apart. I want you to notice the text here, to the Spirit. So this just gives us the hint that the church, like we don't really own each other. The church doesn't own its leaders. Um, These leaders, all of us, whether we're leaders, formal leaders or not, we're actually owned by God. We're owned by the third person of the Trinity. We're owned by the Spirit. So the Spirit says, set them apart to me. They're set apart to the Spirit. But like in, in Mike's case now, set apart for the vine. So Mike McNichols is set apart to the spirit. His whole life has been, but he's set apart now for the vine. And the text says for the work to which I have called them. And again, that's what's so crucial. Yes, I'm the bishop. And yes, I'm approving um, what both Michael and Mike are thinking about here. And that's important, I suppose, on a few levels. But I'm aware that whatever approval I'm giving is an approval that had its initiation and it's sort of fomenting in the spirit. And I'm just looking at it and saying, yes, this seems really good to me. And then the passage says that they <clears throat> fasted and prayed and laid hands on them and sent them out. And this just gives us the picture that it's the spirit that foments and guides mission. And again, I'm just so pleased that that's what you're experiencing. Well, our second reading in Acts 16 gives us a little different story about how the church is led by the spirit. And you may have heard this story before where, you know, Paul is feeling uh, tugged uh, as he's going north, uh, let's say to turn uh, to the right and uh, go uh, east. And uh, he tries to do it twice and the spirit forbids him from doing it. Um, He just, he can't go in those certain directions he wants to go. And the spirit basically says to him, no, um, I'm I'm calling you to to turn left and uh, go west as we might think of it today. So I just want you to think that Paul and his companions, what they would have experienced was that their judgment and their inclinations were being overruled. Now, this isn't punitive. This isn't like you're wrong, like, you know, bad dog, you're wrong or bad. This is really deep human trying to seek God inclinations where it really feels like I'm being tugged in this direction only to find out, wow, I just had this vision from a a man in Macedonia and I didn't see this coming, but actually I'm called to go the opposite way that I thought I was called to go. Now, of course, Michael and Mike would have to speak for themselves, but I know them uh, both well and cherish them as friends and respect them as colleagues. I would just bet almost any amount of money that in this process, they both could say, wow, I'm not sure I saw this coming. In some way, this overrides my own inclinations, but that is the work of the Holy Spirit as he leads the church. Now, our last uh, reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul says to the Corinthians that he doesn't want them to be under uh, um, He doesn't want them to be uninformed about the gifts of the Spirit. And really what's going on there is he doesn't want them to be underutilized or improperly utilized. And so the way this, I think, plays into what you guys are going through as a church and the work we're doing here this morning is that it's the reception of the Spirit that gives us capacity. So Michael is going to need capacity to wade into this new rhythm of life and to discern what next steps are. And, and Mike McNichols is going to need wisdom and discernment and guidance to wade into the life of the vine and to help you guys uh, find your future. And it's the reception of the spirit 
through the gifts of the Spirit that gives us the capacity to do that. So the reason God gave gifts to the church was not to make us weird, but to actually build up the church so it could do its work in healing itself and its work in healing the world. Now, the the Greek word there in Paul's letters for, at least in 1 Corinthians 12 here, for gifts is charismata. Now, it's a, it's a compound word, charis and mata. And so charis is the word for grace, and mata here might mean something like little portion of. Um, a professor at Fuller, I think it was Russ Spiller, but don't hold me to this in this sermon, uh, thinking about that word, coined the phrase um, gracelets, like little droppings of grace. So again, going back to what I said when I began, if you've been a little afraid of the person work of the Holy Spirit, and, and you've maybe thought of the gifts as uncomfortable or something, what if you could think of them this morning as what they actually are? They're just little portions of God's grace that he sprinkles on the church, like he sprinkled on Peter as he went into Cornelius' house, as he sprinkled on Paul as he had this vision of the man in Macedonia and was given the ability to, to follow the Spirit. This is what the Spirit does for the church. He, he actually leads us. And then there's another great word in this text where Paul says there's not just various gifts, but there's various manifestations of these gifts. That word manifestations in the Greek is phanerosis, and it's in a, it's in a really uh, amazing sort of evocative word. It comes out of theater. It comes out of puppeteering, and it, it, it can mean here something like the dancing hand of God. So picture God's hand moving like a puppet, moving over a a congregation and dropping on them little droplets of grace. And what I'm convinced of is that as God has done that for the Swansons and as God is doing that now for the McNichols as he brings them in, I believe God is going to do for all of you in the months ahead. And that as he moves amongst you, and drops his drops of little gracelets upon you that you are going to discover your future and live into uh, probably, hopefully, the best fruitfulness you've ever had as you, as you hear and follow the guidance of God. So kind of the narrative logic of the leadership and the gifts of the Spirit in the church goes something like this. Jesus said, as I've said, it's better that I go away because if I go away, the Spirit will come. And Jesus said, when the spirit comes, he'll lead you and guide you and teach you exactly what you guys need right now as a church. Well, I think all we have in Paul, in Romans and Ephesians and 1 Corinthians and these lists of gifts is Paul's just saying, oh, this is how that is happening. Jesus promised that the spirit would lead the church. And oh my gosh, he is doing it. He's giving these little gracelets that we call wisdom or knowledge or discerning of spirits or prophetic insight or or generosity or leadership or healing or whatever. I think what you have in the Pauline epistles is Paul just going, wow, this is how what Jesus said would happen is happening. And again, it's just so delightful to me that you guys are actually experiencing this. So now thinking just of yourself as you sit there this morning and not thinking so much about the church and the transition you're in. Again, just thinking of the spirit, you may or may not have clarity on when the spirit comes. Like is the spirit, does the spirit come at conversion or is it, as people say, a second work of grace? Uh, You may not be clear about how you know you have the Holy Spirit. Like do you have to speak in tongues to have the Holy Spirit? I get that people might not be clear about that. But here's one thing every single one of us, I think, would want to be clear about. 
and it's this. Is my life inspired by the Holy Spirit as promised by the Father and taught by Jesus? See, that transcends all of our sort of theological or psychological speculations about this and how it works and gets, it, gets us down to just the core thing. Is my life inspired by the Spirit? Eugene Peterson, trying to explain what this inspiration might look like in his book titled Eat This Book, he says, hey, everybody recognizes the difference between an accurate but wooden performance of, let's say, Mozart's Violin Concerto Number no. 1 and a virtuoso performance by Yitzhak Perlman. The difference, Eugene says, is that Perlman's performance is not distinguished merely by his technical skill in reproducing what Mozart composed. No, Perlman wondrously enters into and conveys the spirit and the energy, the life of the score. That's the vision I want to leave with you this morning. That's the joy of a spirit-empowered life. That's the joy of the leading the church individuals or leading the church corporately like the vine. So given that we're talking here about God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, here's my suggestion as we interact with him in the months to come discerning his will for you guys. I'm suggesting a little trusting, humble, open-mindedness as we seek to welcome and engage more fully with the Spirit on His terms. So that as we walk through this transition together, we're walking through it um, with sort of transcendent themes, overarching themes that are guiding us through it. Themes like, I want to know Jesus better. I want the ability to be His ambassador to the kingdom. I want the tools to live the Christian life. I really want a, a robust, non-negotiable, but sensible engagement with the third person of the Holy Trinity, I really want to know and experience the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Well, there's a wonderful passage that I'll close with in Luke 11 that we didn't read this morning, but you maybe can remember it with me. Luke 11 is where Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer. Then you may remember there's that parable of the friend at midnight, and then there's a little sort of mini parable where Jesus instructs them to ask and seek and knock. And the end of that um, paragraph says, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Did you catch that? There's no way of asking for the leadership of the spirit in the church without the answer being yes. How much more will your father in heaven Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Well, I mentioned just briefly that lovely scene in John 20 where it says Jesus breathed on his disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. As you sit quiet here for a minute as we close our time together, maybe you can just picture with me Jesus exhaling, breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit. Maybe if you can see that in your imagination this morning, maybe you can just close your eyes or lift your hands, whatever would work for you to, to just imagine Jesus exhaling the spirit into your life. And now maybe can you see yourself taking it, inhaling it, welcoming the person work of the spirit, receiving him, 
Sometimes we think about catching the wind, this breath of Jesus, catching the wind of the Spirit. As Paul, moving north, he let the Spirit move him where it willed. Maybe you can let the Spirit move your heart this morning. Maybe this morning you can rediscover some confidence in God, some confidence in the person and work of the Holy Spirit, and let it lead you into a kind of childlike surrender. So Vine Church, Swanson's, McNichols, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be confident in a spirit-led future. And may joy and thanksgiving for God's care for the Vine Church be upon you all. Amen.